0: Transcranial Doppler, TCD or TCI, transcranial color imaging, or TCCS, transcranial color-coded duplex sonography. So transcranial Doppler provides rapid non-invasive real-time measurements of cerebrovascular function. TCDs are neuro, it's a neuroimaging tool for measuring the cerebral blood flow velocity changes. It uses pulsed wave Doppler technology to record blood flow velocities in the anterior, middle, basilar, and posterior arteries. It is performed by a technologist trained in the specific type of neurovascular ultrasound. It may be done with or without imaging. Um, If it is done without imaging, it's called freehand method, which is less expensive and it's also more portable. So you can see in the diagram here of the middle cerebral artery, the MCA, we've got an image display of the circle of Willis. And then the transtemporal window above the zygomatic arch is what is displayed in the image of the gentleman here. And uh, we're looking at two megahertz pulse Doppler probe. Transcranial Doppler, um, it is a very operator-dependent study, especially when performed without imaging. Both imaging and non-imaging techniques are challenging, as it is easy to misidentify vessels with either technique. Um, They can be tough and tedious, but information is critical in detecting the vasospasm. Dr. Rune Aslid uh, performed the first non-invasive evaluation of intracranial uh, circulation in 1982. So uh, there are some prerequisites to performing a TCD, and one is this, you have to absolutely know the status of the extracranial arteries uh, completely before you begin. The patient needs to be uh, resting comfortably to avoid major uh, fluctuations of the uh, poral pressure of carbon dioxide, as well as ending up with a movement artifact. Um, why do we do tc oh also you need to have uh the windows all have to be accessible so if you can't if they're not acceptable accessible to the bandages or anything of that nature obviously you can't use that window to see those um arteries so with your tcd um why do we do them well tcds they're capable of detecting the intracranial stenosis and occlusions that occur And they can assess collateral circulation in known cases of severe carotid stenosis or occlusion. You can evaluate the onset and the severity of vasoconstriction caused by a subarachnoid hemorrhage. It's very important in evaluating a patient with a suspected uh, foramen ovale. And um, it's an excellent tool for evaluating intracranial arterial venous malformations, the detection of right and left cardiac shunts. It can be used to evaluate uh, for brain death and to evaluate for increased intracranial pressure. So you can do serial monitoring for vasospasm. That's a real common reason for performing this exam. Uh, Evaluation of an aneurysm and that AV um, arterial venous malformation, Uh, basilar artery occlusion. Uh, We sometimes look for ICA stenosis. That could be a reason. can be adjunct to extracranial exam, so they might combine it with a carotid ultrasound. Monitoring vasospastic effects of sickle cell anemia uh, can also be used for the confirmation of brain death, as we were just saying before. So some risk factors in the mechanism of disease for this non-invasive evaluation of the cerebral system. It's performed, as we're saying, for asymptomatic uh, BRUIs, history of TIA or stroke, non-localizing symptoms and patient undergoing major cardiac or vascular procedure. And um, just some stats with stroke. It is um, a very devastating event, which accounts for at least 350,000 deaths each year. There are several risk factors that contribute to the development of atherosclerosis and a subsequent stroke. High blood pressure is the number one risk factor associated with stroke patients. The theory is the accelerated flow rate seen from with the high blood pressure will increase the rate of damage to the vessel wall at the carotid bifurcation where there is already some degree of continual wear and tear due to turbulence. In addition, if the patient has existing disease, the high blood pressure can cause pieces of black to become more easily dislodged, resulting in an embolic uh, event. Um, Approximately 15% of patients who suffer a stroke will also have an associated diabetes. Smoking is well documented in the literature as a source of damage to the vascular system, uh, lungs, heart, and other organs. Other risk factors include obesity, family history of vascular disease, hyperlipidemia, and stress. So how do we image transcranially? Uh, we use a pulsed array transducer. Um, the IU22 Philips machine uses the S51 or equivalent, so that machine would get you a, uh, the images as well. Uh, with color Doppler, we use spectral Doppler, and uh, we have a unilateral method. You're scanning one side at a time. So you can use this uh, if you don't use the imaging. You typically use a two megahertz probe. And the angle of inclination is zero degrees. And the three most common windows are the transfer and the transtemporal, transorbital, and the standard method of quantifying velocities is the average mean velocity. So that is time averaged mean velocity. So again, we use that uh, two megahertz pulsed Doppler with spectral analysis and uh, transfer. Foramental approach, or aka sub-occipital approach, uh, utilizes the upper neck, back of the head at the foramen magnum for a window. The transtemporal, uh, you take an anterior to the ear and superior to the zygomatic arch approach. Uh, this is the thinnest portion of the skull, and that window has three general areas in that window, the anterior, middle, and posterior portions. And the transorbital is another window, which is over the closed eyelid. And there is actually a fourth window, uh, the submandibular under the jawline, which is used to evaluate the distal extracranial ICA primarily to provide velocity values for extra to intracranial ratio. So let's look at uh, an image of the brain here, showing brain anatomy. And gives you an idea what part of the brain is involved with um, different types of processes. And the, the cortical arterial system is formed by vessels, which are terminal branches of the anterior, middle, and posterior cerebral arteries, and they give rise to nutrient arteries that penetrate the cortex, those different areas. The aim of a TCD is the comprehensive evaluation of blood flow in the visualized cerebral vessels. And we must know the typical anatomy and common variants of the anatomy as well. So intracranial ICA, you have the ophthalmic artery, is the first branch of the uh supraclinoid segment and therefore the first inter- intracranial branch of the ICA. So this ophthalmic artery supplies blood to the optic nerve and retina, uh, some structures in the nose, face, and mengees. And inclusion of the optic uh, ophthalmic artery uh, can produce sight-threatening com- conditions as well. So it enters the skull, the ICA, intracranial ICA, enters the skull in the carotid canal and courses anterior medially in the petrous portion of the temporal bone. The petrous segment becomes the cavernous segments, and the ICA travels medially in turns, forming the S-shaped double curve called the carotid siphon. So the circle of Willis. Um, so this is an intracranial communication channel. Or channel excuse me. It is uh, about the size of a 50-cent piece, and we've said that before. It lies at the base of the brain, connecting the anterior and posterior circulating systems. And when it's complete, it provides a, an important collateral pathway that maintains blood flow to the brain in cases of stenosis or occlusion. Uh, There can be uh, a number of variations of the circle of Willis, including vessel size and congenital anomalies. In addition, about half of the population has an incomplete circle of Willis. So here we can see that circle, um, which the dotted circle around here is highlighting the circle of Willis. And we can see um, where blood is coming up and how it's entering the circle of Willis and then how it is moving blood to all the different portions of the brain. So the ACA, the anterior cerebral artery, and so the ICA bifurcates into the ACA, and which travels anterior medially, and the middle cerebral artery, the MCA, which runs laterally, the ACA nourishes the anterior, superior, and medial portions of the frontal lobes, as well as the medial surface of the cerebral hemisphere. So, using a transtemporal approach, and you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier, um, you want to be at 60 to 80 millimeters in depth with flow um, that's anti-grade going away from the transducer. And an ACA aneurysm, it could be asymptomatic, or until it ruptures, or it may cause visual field deficits um, and could cause some other types of uh, dysfunctions as well. Uh, The middle cerebral artery, um, just a note, the MCA and the ACA bifurcate from the terminus of the ICA. So the MCA courses laterally from the ICA bifurcation toward the temporal bone. The mean luminal diameter is 2.2 to 2.8 millimeters. Uh, as it enters the Sylvian fissure, it, the MCA splits into two and occasionally three branches, but usually two is superior and inferior. to carry 75 to 80% of the ICA blood flow, and it's larger than the ECAs. The M1 segment from the MCA uh, origin to the first branch, and then the M2 to M4 segments fan across the convex segments of the brain. So, again, uh, depth uh, we're talking 30 to 60 millimeters uh, roughly from the transtemporal window uh, with flow towards the transducer. And um, the MCA, the M1 medial origin of the First branch and let's hemi. Uh, if you have symptoms or problems with this uh, MCA, you can have hemiparesis or hemipalesia of the lower half of the contralateral face, or it can even happen where you have hemiparesis or hemipalesia of the upper and lower extremities, contralateral upper and lower extremities. So vertebral arteries and basilar artery, the basilar artery gives off penetrating uh, pontine branches and some uh, cerebellar branches before bifurcating into the terminal posterior cerebral arteries, the PCAs. And the basilar artery usually is 2.6 to 3.5 centimeters in length, and some symptoms of if you have uh, vertebral basilar symptoms, are generally bilateral, and they involve ataxia, limb weakness, drop attacks, visual disturbances, vertigo, slurred speech, and headaches, and vomiting. Moving on to the posterior uh, cerebral artery, the PCA it supplies blood to the midbrain, thalamus medial occipital and inferior temporal lobes. The P1 segment extends from the PCA origin to the uh, PCOMA, PCOMA and the P2 segment arcs posteriorly. So you're looking at um, 60 to 70 millimeters depth from the transtemporal window with flow towards the transducer to be integrated. And a PCA aneurysm can cause symptoms like a severe headache, visual acuity loss, and cranial nerve deficits. So, we're here at the circle of Willis again, it's connecting the two anterior carotid systems with the posterior vertebral basal uh, cere- cerebral um, vascular system provides for important side-to-side or anterior-posterior collateral flow, and a complete circle of Willis is present in 96% of all autopsies. Uh, But frequent variants make the perfect circle um, uh, the exception rather than the rule. So here we can see all the different components, and that circle of Willis is formed in the front of the anterior cerebral arteries and in the Back of the two posterior cerebral arteries. Uh, The branches of ICA are connected by the ACA, and the branches of the basilar artery are connected by the posterior communicating arteries to the middle cerebral arteries. You have um, three trunks that arise from the circle of Willis, and together they supply each cerebral hemisphere. These include the anterior cerebral arteries, the middle cerebral arteries, and the posterior cerebral arteries as well. So it's named after Thomas Willis, who was uh, lived from 1621 to 1673. And you have an anterior cerebral artery on the left and the right. You've got the anterior communicating artery, the internal carotid artery on the left and the right, posterior cerebral artery on the left and the right, posterior communicating artery on the left and the right. And the physiological significance is uh, in event of a narrowed or a blocked uh, vessel, Um, can preserve the cerebral perfusion, avoid the symptoms of ischemia, and considerable anatomic variations exist, as we were saying. So the circle of Wills is an important source of collateral circulation. There are about nine congenital abnormalities, and uh, they may occur with the most common malformation being absence or hypoplasia of one or both of the communicating arteries. Uh, again, approximately 50% of the population have an incomplete circle of Willis, according to one of your texts here. And um, not surprisingly, uh, brains from patients in cerebrovascular disease have a higher incidence of anomalies than the random population. 50% or more of the population have an intact functioning circle of Willis. And um, so that would mean 50 do not. Um But the 25%, but only 25% have the classic configuration um, and incomplete circle. So there's quite a few different variants. Cerebral collateral pathways. So there are um, some possibilities here. The brain is supplied with two types of arterial branches. The penetrating arteries provide nutrient supply to the central nervous system. To support neural function, the superficial or circumferential arteries um, are the major arterial trunks that uh, spread over the entire surface of the cervical hemispheres, brainstem, and spinal cord. There are three categories of intracranial collateral circulation. The large interarterial connections are formed by the circle of Willis, This is a major collateral pathway that provides communication between the two common carotid arteries um, or between the basilar artery and the right or left common uh, carotid artery. The second most important source of collateral circulation is via the intracranial-extracranial pathway. This is formed by an anastomosis between the ECA and the ICA via orbital or ophthalmic or other ECA-ICA branches or excuse me connections the most important eca branches are those which communicate with branches of the ophthalmic artery and they include the facial and nasal superficial temporal to the supraorbital and internal maxillary to the ophthalmic the occipital and the vertebral and the ascendant, ascending pharyngeal to the vertebral artery other possible connections include the occipital artery with the Atlantic branch of the vertebral or the deep cervical and ascending cervical branches of the subclavian with the vertebral artery. The intracranial intracranial hyphen extracranial connections are also known as pre Willysian anastomosis. The third source of collateral circulation is via the small intra arterial communications and the ret mirabil or the they call it the wonderful net is a transdural anastomosis crossing the subdural space of the dural arteries on the surface of the brain. There is no effective anastomosis between neighboring cerebral artery branches, deep penetrating arteries, or superficial and deep cerebral arteries. So. Um, TCD windows. So, we talked about some windows just a little bit earlier. We were talking about um, the transforamental approach um, or the sub-occipital approach. It's the same thing: the upper neck and back of the head through the foramen magnum. The transtemporal approach, which is anterior to the ear and superior to the zygomatic arch, and it's the thinnest portion of the skull. That has this three general windows, the anterior, medial, and posterior. The transorbital, which is over the closed eyelid. And we also mentioned that there's a fourth window that is a submandibular under the jawline approach, which is used to evaluate the distal extracranial ICA primary to uh, provide velocity values for the extra to intracranial ratio. So here we have an image of a transtemporal window and the vessels are accessible from the transtemporal window um, following uh, these are the MCA, ACA, the MCA slash ACA bifurcation, uh, posterior communicating artery PCA, and the terminus ICA. And here we have um, how do we identify the correct vessel. So we have to have the correct depth and we have to know the flow direction and The mean velocity value. So, with the MCA, um, using the transtemporal window, you're going to want to have flow uh, that travels towards the transducer. And we're looking at a depth of 3.0 to 6.0 centimeters, or 3 to 6 centimeters, with a mean velocity of 55 centimeters per second. And your angle is an anterior to superior approach. Of course, your patient's. Uh, supine and operator is typically at the head of the bed. And in uh, normal subjects, the MCA flow velocity will be higher than the ACA and the ACA will be higher than the PCA. So MCA slash ACA, in this case, um, where this bifurcation, you want flow to go, uh, it's bidirectional. So flow direction is toward and away, depending on where you're sampling here. And you're using a transtemporal window, and you're angling anterior and inferior. Your depth is set at 5.6 to 6.5 centimeters. And this signal, this signal area serves as an excellent landmark for um, the remaining exam. Aca, uh, they say A is away or flow moving away from the transducer. So in that transtemporal approach, um, you're at an angle anterior and superior, and your velocities will normally be less than that of the MCA. And your depth is at six uh, to eight centimeters with a mean velocity of 50 centimeters per second. So you follow the Aca to midline depths. Um, Um, One source is 7.5 to 8 centimeters, so pretty close. The posterior cerebral artery, and so again, you're using a transtemporal window. Here, you're angling posterior and slightly inferior. Your P1 flow is towards the transducer, whereas the P2 flow is going to be away from the transducer. You're looking at depths of 6 to 7 centimeters and a mean velocity of 39 centimeters per second. The P2 segment is not typically um, part of the normal exam. It is identified with a more posterior aim, and flow will be initially bidirectional. Then uh, with increased sample volume, it will go away from the transducer. So, over here we have an image showing your suboccipital window, which is going through the foramen and magnum. And here we can see um, the vertebral arteries and where they connect with the basilar artery. And you can see in the diagram on the left how it's coming up through the vertebral processes, those burps, and then they come together and join to that basilar artery. Uh, your sonographic image to the right, it's basically kind of flipped the other way, but you can tell where the two vertebral arteries are where that confluence is coming into the basilar artery. So the basal artery is formed with that confluence, the right and left vertebral arteries, as we said. It divides into the posterior cerebral arteries to form uh, part of the circle, Willis, and it supplies blood to the posterior structures at the cranial cavity. Here we have some transtemporal um, anatomy with some sonic, uh, ultrasonic images. And um, in that transtemporal window, we are again able to see the MCA, the termination, the ICA, the ACA, uh, MCA bifurcation, and the anterior communicating artery and the PCA. So the transtemporal window we can see here um, what we have on a diagram with this person's... Oops, i got to go down one more. So with that transtemporal approach, uh, anterior to the ear and superior to the zygomatic arch, uh, at the thinnest portion of the skull is where we're at. And that window is divided into those three general areas, the anterior, middle, and posterior area. The more posterior placement, the more anterior the angulation
1: of the Doppler beam. Uh, and vice versa. So here we have a transparietal window, which is less often used.
0: And another look at the transtemporal window and only 35% or less of that transmitted ultrasound energy passes through this window. In 10% of the population, there is no ultrasound penetration due to a thickened uh, bone segment. Cerebral aneurysm uh, rupture happens to approximately uh, 28,000 people annually. Mortality rate exceeds 50%. Those that survive face aneurysm clipping. And subarachnoid hemorrhage may cause the vessel to vasospasm. So let's talk about cerebral vasospasm. So it's a complication of the subarachnoid hemorrhage. It's related to rupture of an intracranial aneurysm or an arterial venous malformation, a hypertensive bleed, or brain trauma. It's functional. Uh, transient narrowing of the arteries usually occurs and uh, resolves within two weeks of a bleed and a diagnostic baseline is completed as early as possible. So that being a, a TCD done as soon as possible, then daily exams are performed after that baseline has been established to see if the vasospasm, if the vasospasm develops. Um, they can be mild to severe. They may occur in any major cerebral vessel and commonly delayed in onset
1: uh, several days post-op.
0: So cerebral vasal uh, spasm symptoms, your cerebral vascular aneurysm rupture occurs in approximately 28,000 individuals, we were saying that before, in North America yearly and have a mortality rate exceeding 50%. So those that survive a subarachnoid hemorrhage and surgical clipping of aneurysm face the risk of that vasospasm in a major intracranial vessel. It can cause uh, symptoms of confusion, decreased level of consciousness, uh, feeling goofy, uh, can cause stroke, death, an MCA vasospasm, mean velocities. Um, Normal are 30 to 80 centimeters per second. Mild would be 120 to 140 centimeters per second. Moderate would be 140 to 200 centimeters per second. And severe uh, would be greater than 200 centimeters per second.